0: There probably shouldn't have been a break between chapters 1 and 2. Because as we see in the book of Galatians, we're seeing that the first two, it's broken up into three sections we talked about. And the very first two chapters really talk about the same thing. And that is Paul is communicating really a couple of things. One is his personal testimony of what Jesus Christ did to him specifically, speaking to him in such a radical way, as you remember, on the road of Damascus. Here he is, the Pharisee of Pharisees, a religious leader of the Sanhedrin Council, the Supreme Court of Jewish law and religion, zealous to kill anyone who would dare to follow this this. this this Messiah, this, this, this false God called Jesus Christ, the, the, they called him the way, we're going to take them out because just, it's just going to come against the, the Jews. And then he was zealous, if you remember, for his religion, but he was misguided in his religion. Because as we know, in the Old Testament, we saw that God spoke to very clearly to the prophets and through the law that Jesus Christ was going to be the Messiah. But he was so fixated on the religion and man-made law and rules and regulations that he missed the actual person. And that's why we talked about previously, it's about a relationship with God not a relationship with a religion. We come here not to worship a religion. We come here to worship Jesus Christ, our Savior, who died for our sins on the cross, who was resurrected after the third day, who lives and reigns in heaven waiting to come back for us. That's who we worship. That's who we sing to. That's who we personally want to know. We're not coming here to know who Calvary Chapel is or whatever name your church is or religion. It is about who Jesus Christ is and that he is the Messiah that God promised. As Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Now, this is the message that Paul was talking to the, the, the Galatians, right? Remember, there was a series of churches here in this area. Of Galatia, And he was speaking to them of these believers. He was pouring his heart and bringing them to the understanding of the true gospel of grace. It's not following rules and regulations. It's about following a person. And that he was marveled, if you remember in chapter 1. He he was marveled at the fact that these believers who in Jesus Christ was so quickly walk away from the gospel of grace and go back and try to live in some kind of quasi-mixed religion law and, and yes, Jesus is my my Messiah, my my Savior, but I I still have to follow these religious rules. And Paul was just absolutely marveled, shocked that they would be, be swayed away from the simple truth of the gospel. And then he reminded them in chapter 1 that, that he didn't get this message of the gospel from any man or any committee or any church. He got it directly from Jesus Christ himself. He re, Jesus revealed himself right there on the road to Damascus. He spoke to him when he was waiting to, He remember he was blinded and, he, and God sent uh, a, a believer, uh, not so willingly, but sent a believer to go there to lay hands on him and pray for him. And there he got his sight back. And then Jesus took him into the wilderness. And there he, he spent time discipling up, working with, preparing Paul for the ministry. Amazing. But he didn't reveal, he didn't, no man gave him this truth. God himself gave him this truth. Now if you remember, even though Paul was marveled that people were walking away, the fact that Paul was learning and growing in his understanding and relationship with Jesus Christ, God taking him there from Damascus where all that took place initially and and took him into the Arabia area for three years. Prepare him, receiving the grace of God that was been manifested through Jesus Christ. And after spending three years there in the desert, mulling over the Old Testament, the Old the Law, and all these things, he knew he was the he was a master of the law. He knew the scriptures inside and out, and better than anybody else. He excelled in his class. He excelled in everything. He did the best. Rabbi, the best Jewish teachers, he knew it. He was a scholar among scholars, an intellect beyond intellect, the Pharisee of all Pharisees. And he was striving to be the best Pharisee, if you remember. But that all, God said, I see what you're doing, but watch how I'm going to change your life and use that for my purpose. And I love how God can do that. That he can sit there and you think you're just doing your thing and making ways and striving to be the best in whatever you're doing. All along, you may just be running from God or keeping an arm's distance or you're a little quizzical at times while you're doing your thing. But then God says, now watch. Watch going to get your attention and I'm going to bring you so close to me that everything that you've been working on in your life is going to be used for my glory and for my purpose and I love that because here Paul was doing his thing a religious thing but now he says I'm going to do it for me Jesus said now we see here thou after those three years in the, in, the, in the desert, he brings them back to Damascus. And if you remember the story that he went back to Damascus, I can picture him now after three years of being prepared and knowing Jesus so well and knowing the truth, he was just excited about sharing the good news of everything he did not understand now comes to light and he can prove it through the scriptures. He's just excited. He's prepared. And the people at Damascus said, kill that man. (laughs) That man has turned against us. He used to be for us to go against these Christians. Now he's one of them. And now we've got to kill this man. And remember the story? He had to humbly be let out through the side of the wall of of the city to escape just to save his life. How humbling it is to start a ministry like that. But then where did you go? He went to Jerusalem, and he remember last week we, we saw that he spent 15 days in Jerusalem. He wanted to go down and equate himself and introduce himself to Peter. And of all the disciples, all he met is Peter for those 15 days and Jesus' brother James. And that's the only two he saw. So he didn't have enough time to sit there and really receive anything other than Being able to have the ability to meet and greet and face to face. Because Paul was, remember, was just, oh, I hear this guy out there named Saul who was killing Christians. Now his name is Paul because God changed his name. And now he's for Jesus. And they were all afraid of him. So most of the disciples stayed away from this man. Except for Peter and for James. But now this is where our story keeps picking up here in Galatians chapter 2 verse 1. He says, then after 14 years, 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. Now this is interesting when you look at verse 1. Because you see here 14 years. He only spent... 15 days with these guys down there originally he went back to and hung out for a while up back up where his hometown is up back where he's from but if you remember there's about five times we see in the scripture where Paul went to Jerusalem if you remember I'll I'll bring it to light for you here. Remember the first visit was when he left Damascus, Acts chapter 9, verse 26 through 30, and also obviously last week in Galatians chapter 1, verses 18 and 20, talks about that account. The second time we see in the scripture when he go, Paul goes down to Jerusalem was during the time of the famine. Remember, Jerusalem had this famine, the drought that came about, and the people, the churches up there in the uh, Gentile world was collecting money to take down to help for the poor because they were hurting so bad, and we see that in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. And then we see the fact that now, and I believe this is the time where Paul is writing to, is his third visit when he comes down and and attends the Jerusalem council that we go back and you can read in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 30. And then after that, we will see later down the road, uh, in, uh, in the fourth visit was the end of the second missionary journey, Acts chapter 18, verse 22. And then final visit, which resulted in Paul's uh, Caesarean imprisonment, which we see in Acts chapter 21, verses 15 through 23, uh, or to chapter 23, verse 35. So we can see a few times Paul's, in his life, as a Christian when he went down to Jerusalem. But here he was set apart. He had been preaching now for 14 years the gospel of Jesus Christ. Over into the Gentile world is exactly what God wanted him to do. And he says, and that gets to a point where there are some challenges, if you remember in our scripture here, we know that what was happening is when Paul was out here starting these churches up in these Gentile areas. These Jewish believers from Jerusalem, yes, believed that now and they understand that Jesus Christ was the Messiah that God was talking about the whole time. But they believed also that not only do you need to know who Jesus Christ is, but you also had to follow some religious rules and regulations. I.e. the circumcision. If you were going to be in the faith and the belief of Judaism, you must be circumcised. It was not a question. You had to meet certain dietary laws. That was not a question. You had to keep the Sabbath. It wasn't a question. So these Judaizers, these legalists, these religious guys were going up there following Paul around in the ministry. And as soon as he got a church started, they would come in. And say, wait a minute, I know you know Jesus now, but you still need to also follow these rules. And that is against the word of God. You do not have put your faith in Jesus Christ and anything. You put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior plus something. That is false teaching and we are not to touch it. You don't touch it. We put our faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's how we are justified. And justified meaning just as if you've never sinned before. You by putting your trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done. His work on the cross for your sins. And all we do is hand it as a free gift to you and say, do you want to believe And accept my free gift. Our response is one of two choices. Yes, I want that free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ offers me. That grace. Or you can choose, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. But it's your choice. And as we know the scripture, one choice keeps you in bondage because you've rejected Jesus the other choice of receiving the free gift is a free choice, and it gives you life, eternal life, a guaranteed eternal life with Jesus Christ for eternity. There's, to you and I, there's really no choice, right? We want freedom. We want to have salvation. We want to be forgiven of our sins. We want to have eternal life. We want that assurance. We want to take that step of trust and believe and grow in our. Re- Remember, receiving that gift does not make you perfect. It just puts you in a position of a right relationship with God Almighty. Then he says, I will do the work in your life. I will change you, he says. So Paul got to share that for 14 years. But these Judaizers, these legalists, were coming in and trying to say, no, 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 you've got to do more than that. And Paul had enough. Paul said, okay, Let's go down to Jerusalem. Let's deal with this issue right from the beginning. Let's just get down there and take it. Because this is going to be, this. we're at a crossroads. Because if this is, does not get settled, then we are going to have two Christian camps. We're going to have those Jewish camps christian sect over here and we'll have the gentile christian sect over here and there will not be unity and this will not happen it'll be divide and conquer and that's exactly what the enemy wants we're going to deal with this so we see that he went down to jerusalem with barnabas and he also took titus with me now imagine we find here in this in this this verse very interesting uh, because he took barnabas who's barnabas well, you know by history there that Barnabas in the scriptures, that he and Paul were pretty tight. Remember, because Paul was, comes from the Jewish faith. He was, he was a Hellenist. He was from the Tarsus, from the, uh, uh, the area that, uh, that Barnabas was from as well. Barnabas was a, um, was a Levite from Cyprus. And as they get together, we see that there's a history, there's a relationship that was built. And, uh, and, and it's a good thing that Barnabas went because he comes from you know, a background that the believers there down in Jerusalem would trust him. There's, some, there's history there. They had a relationship there. So Paul had someone coming with him who was a Jewish believer, and he was going down there to present what the truth is, is what Paul is teaching, what is the good news he's spreading up there in the Gentile world, and that everything is good and everything is fine. But you notice that he brought with him Barnabas. But notice the words there, but he also took Titus. So before, it was like, okay, Barnabas, this is really a good team. Let's go down there. Let's present. But I'm going to take Titus as well. Why? Because Titus was a Gentile believer. He was the poster child of what they were talking about, of Jesus Christ saving a Gentile man like Titus, and but he did not follow all the rules of the Judaism to be able to be saved. Because remember, if you go back to Acts chapter 15, they said if you don't get circumcised, you're not saved. That's false teaching. If You don't follow the dietary laws of the Jewish faith. That's false teaching. That doesn't save you if you follow the dietary laws or you worship only on a Sabbath day or you only did this or do that or you got circumcised. That doesn't save you. And so he had to take and he took Titus with him. And he verse two and he says, "I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain." Now it's interesting here, Barnabas, close friend, we see that he was, a respected leadership in the Jerusalem uh, church. We see that and go back in Acts chapter 4 verses 36 and 37 and chapter 11 to do that. But Barnabas's name stands for son of encouragement. Remember his original name was Joseph. And when he got saved... God changed His name to reflect of who and who He is, and that was the son of encouragement. Because you could always find Barnabas encouraging somebody in their walk with Jesus. And when the gospel came to the Gentiles in Antioch, it was Barnabas who sent to encourage them in their faith. In Acts chapter eleven, he's the initial went out there to do some of the initial work. But from the very earliest days, Barnabas was associated with these Gentile believers and was interacting with them and helping and watching God do a mighty work in Antioch. Because remember, all of this started coming up because there was a revival taking place in Antioch. The church was in Antioch. It was growing. Remember, there was, there was two kind of capitals of Christi- Christian, uh, Christianity at that time. There was the church that was growing initially in Jerusalem... The, from the Jewish, and then the Gentile church that started at Antioch, that was exploding. And so down, the, those in Jerusalem was like, what's going on up there? The revival taking place, and like anything, there's a movement going on. People send other people up to check it out, and that's exactly how things were playing out. But the problem is, is those who were going up there, some of them had the wrong heart, and they were the Judaizers trying to bring the Gentile church in some bondage, and as we will see, back into bondage of religion. We also know Barnabas accompanied Paul on his first missionary trip in Acts chapter 13 and had had seen God's blessing on the gospel that they preached. We notice that Barnabas encouraged John Mark, if you remember. John Mark, that young protege, a young man who had dropped out of the ministry and, in, and incurred the displeasure or you know, caused some division, some challenges with Paul because Paul was, was relying on John Mark to stay with him in the ministry, to go out to do the work. And, and then John Mark decided, hey, I'm, I'm not having any more of this ministry. I'm leaving. And that caused some division and caused some challenges with Paul. And we see that in Acts 13 and Acts 15. But we know by Scripture in Colossians and 2 Timothy, Paul Obviously, was able to be reconciled with Mark, and uh, and then they actually did a, had a friendship back and benefited going back out in the ministry. So Barnabas is someone all of us need in our life. We need a Barnabas. We need someone who is someone is going to encourage us in the faith, who's always encouraging us to continue to do and take steps of faith. And our walk with Jesus Christ. You should not. You shouldn't be out there walking this Christian faith by yourself. So many times, people will say, "Pastor, I'm having challenges in my my walk." One of the very first questions, and one of the things I try to look for, is, "Who are you fellowshipping with?" Who is that, that buddy of yours or that sister that's close to you that you can talk to and rely upon and, and be encouraged by? Who is that? Oh, I've got my dog, you know, and, I, and it's just me and in my little room. and I. No, that's not going to help you. Your cat can only do so much for you. You really need to be in a fellowship and around encouragers in the faith for you. That's why God says in the scripture, do not forsake the fellowship, because he realized how important it is for us to have that for our walk. So Paul kept Barnabas pretty close. Can you imagine this man's gone through a lot in the ministry? <laughs> He's been stoned and you, shipwrecked. You need a brother who's going to encourage you through this walk in the ministry. But think about Titus. Paul said, I want Titus. I'm going to take Titus with me. He wasn't just to be a a poster child of what it means to be a Gentile believer. But we know by scripture, Titus was a remarkable man. He was associated with uh, Apostle Paul for quite some time. And we can see it throughout the different scriptures, how he was a valuable young brother to Paul now he was different than Timothy. Remember Timothy was a protégé, right? But Timothy was a little more passive. He was a little more Paul had a lot more encouragement with Timothy, you know, in his walk and doing the ministry. But Titus was strong. Titus was a very strong individual that Paul could rely upon to do some hard things within the ministry. Titus was a a Gentile believer who worked with Paul, apparently one It was one to Christ through his actual ministry. We see that in Titus 1.4. He was one of the individuals God, uh, Paul shared the gospel with, led him to Christ. And now Titus says, I'm I'm with you, bro. I'm going to be with you in the ministry. I want to do the work of the ministry with you. We also know that Paul referred to Titus as my brother. And the fact that he had no peace when Titus was absent just don't have peace without Titus being around. There's something to having Titus around me doing the work of the ministry. That's a a great relationship we can see there. We also see in, that was 2 Corinthians 2.13, we also in 1 Corinthians 7.6, we see Paul was comforted by the coming of Titus. Oh, Titus is coming. Oh, I'm so comforted to know he's going to be coming and spending time with me. We need a brother. We need a sister like that in our lives. They were are comforted when they come to spend time with us. 2 Corinthians 8.6, we see Paul trusted Titus to receive the collection from the Corinthians and trust him to go receive that tithe, those offerings to be able to take to the, the Jerusalem believers. You just don't give that to just anybody. You have to, you have to trust someone who's going to go take, and, use God, take and, and collect God's money to take and use for his ministry. You don't just let anyone touch that money, but someone who's close to you. Even in 2 Corinthians 8.16, Titus had the same earnest care that filled the heart of Paul. They were like-minded in the ministry. They weren't head in the ministry. They weren't going different directions. They were like-minded, the same heart, same spirit. even see in second corinthians 8 23 paul said if anyone inquires about titus he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you second corinthians 12 18 paul spoke again of titus and how he shared paul's heart but did titus take advantage of you did he walk in any other way but the same spirit that i walk in don't we walk in the same steps aren't he just like me And then you really see that close relationship, like I said, in Titus chapter 1, verse 4, where he refers to Titus as a true son in our common faith. He was a son to him. I am just absolutely floored when I read the scriptures. And I see how God can take such a diverse group of people Who all put their trust in Jesus Christ, and that brings a unity like nothing else can. Do you know why we have such division in this world and division within this country? Because the enemy loves to divide and conquer. But in the church body, he can take all of us such diverse, just like Paul, just like Titus, just like Barnabas, and take them such diverse lives and bring into unity in the spirit of Christ with one message, the gospel of Christ and the love for another. The unity. That's what Christ does. He brings unity. Unity if there's any division, you know that Christ is not involved in that situation. If you find there's disunity within a marriage, Christ is missing in that relationship or that discussion or moment. There's a disconnect or disunity within the church body. Someone is not keeping their eyes on Jesus Christ. That's simple. Straightforward. And the wonderful and close relationship formed here in the ministry would change the world as we know it today. Because of this unity, God used these men to share up there in the Gentile world that moved all the way through Europe and all over the area that we see over there today. We would not be sitting here today putting our trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, we would be having to follow the probably the Jewish law as well. That's how critical this moment is right now. That's why Paul had to go down and take these men with him to go down and deal with the issue that we will see in the scripture down in Jerusalem. It was that pivotal. And he went there not because of his own flesh, not because someone down in Jerusalem told him, you better get down here and deal with it. Not because some pressure from a brother uh, to the left or to the right or some sister yelling and screaming, you got to fix it, Paul. No. Because God said, Paul, I he says right here, I went up by revelation. Paul went to Jerusalem by the express direction by God himself. You must go. And he went. Man didn't make him. God said, we must go. And he communicated to them one message. We see, communicate to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. Simple message. Saved by grace. And grace alone. Now, it's interesting in verse 2, Paul was very sensitive To what he was going and walking into the situation in Jerusalem. He could have been a prideful man. And said look what God has done to me. My life has changed. I was a persecutor. I wanted to kill anyone who was following Jesus. God got a hold of my life. He spoke to me. I re- he revealed himself to me. I, get, I put my trust in Jesus. Now I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm out there leading other people to Jesus. Look at how radical my testimony is. No one can claim anything except that God did this. And he could have been a prideful man. And he could have stormed down to Jerusalem and said, do you know what God is doing in my life? In 14 years I've been preaching this, and how dare you guys even question my... He didn't do that in front of the whole congregation down there in Jerusalem. We see that he went and said, I want to privately sit down with who? James, Peter, and John. And I'm just going to, let's work this out privately here. So when we go in, we're unity. And before we go into the front of the congregation there in Jerusalem. See, I think that's a really important lesson. You have a problem with someone in leadership. He didn't sit there and go, I'm just going to go right in front of the congregation, tell everyone in the congregation, this is what's going on. I'm Paul and I'm from up here. And uh, you guys got, your leaders are kind of flaking over here and you've got to get your act together. He didn't do that. He said, let's just work this out and make sure we understand each other. And then we'll bring it to the congregation in unity. Because it's more important that we keep the unity within the body of Christ than to have division in any other things that go on. And that's exactly what he did. Because he knew if he didn't go in there and just privately work with them and then come into the congregation as, uh, down in Jerusalem as a oneness and, a, and, and working together in, a, in agreement, then all that he's done, all of this running, all of this, this hard work would just be in vain. It would end up being, it would be a splinter within the church, there would be division, and all the work that he's been doing and trying to do for Christ, the enemy would actually end up winning. It would be all in vain. It would be such a challenge. But then he continues in verse 3, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek Gentile, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus. That we might bring us into bondage. To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue in you. So Paul continues to write here. He says, I brought Titus down. I brought him in front of them and said, Here, here's a man who was not saved. He didn't want anything to do with uh, of, of of God. He was following pagans, he was following idols, he was following all his doing his own thing as flesh. He hears the good news from Paul. Titus believes he puts his trust in Jesus Christ as his Savior. And his life was radically changed. A new birth took place in him. A regeneration took place in his life. And Titus knew it. But that's all he had to do is put his trust in Jesus Christ. And he's saved. Period. So now you guys from Jerusalem are coming up here saying, Titus, you need to get circumcised. You need to follow the law, of the Jewish laws. And Paul is saying here, Titus, who's a Greek, a Gentile, was compelled, to, told that he needed to get circumcised because of these false brethren secretly brought in. See, you always know it's something from Satan when something is in secret. If you, over here, over here, and secret little text is going on over here and coming, you know automatically there's darkness and you need to bring light to it. I don't care if it's the workplace. I don't care if it's in the home place or in the church place or in your neighborhood. Anytime there is something secretly going on, as we see here, and there's just this, this secretly, and he called it stealth. To spy out, which means there is an objection, not, there's a, an ab- uh, 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 we'll bring it down here. The simplicity, I don't want to find out what I'm about to do when I come into the church. I'm just going to be stealth. No one's going to know I just arrived and what my purpose is. That's what happens, unfortunately, and even in churches today. That people will come into the family with an agenda and do it as and it looks good. They even have the Christiany talk down. They even smell like a Christian, talk like a Christian. It just seems like there's something about them. Then they must be saved. Until you start seeing and hearing what they're stealthily spying out. What, they were, what were they spying? How can these Christians have such freedom or liberty to live like they do without following the Jewish law? Again, there's nothing new under the sun today. Let me give it simplicity today. Legalism. You cannot be a Christian and have a tattoo. Well, show me in the scripture. It's not true. You cannot be a Christian unless you give money. Show me in the scripture. That, that, that's, not, that's legalism. That's, that's not true. You can't be a Christian and dress like that. You've got to be in a tie. Well, it cuts my circulation off. I can't breathe and I can't think. You know, I, I don't like wearing ties. I know that Jesus must have wore a three-piece suit his whole ministry. But this guy doesn't do that. But but there's, there's, there's people out there today that says, if you're not in a suit, Pastor Corey, then you cannot be really a man of God to teach the Word. That's called legalism. See, that's the subtleness that is in the church today. Back here, it was, are you circumcised? Did you follow the diet? Were you not worshiping on Sabbath? You're not a Christian if you don't go to church. Where do you see it in the scripture? See, we're not perfect. We have to grow and we're going to mature in our walk with Jesus Christ. But our position as a child of God is not based on our works or based on what we have done or don't do. Our relationship as a child of God is but just purely putting our trust, our faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done. And that's it. Then we have liberty and freedom to live our life as a Christian as God leads us. When God says no, then it's no. When God says yes, it is yes. Not if man or woman says it. It's what the scriptures say that we follow. So Paul was trying to get that across and understanding that Titus was not going to get circumcised. He, look at the scripture, says, to whom we did not yield submission For even an hour. We didn't even entertain the thought. When these false teachers came in and said. Titus you need to be circumcised to be saved. They didn't even think about it. For a moment. They could smell it a mile away. That this was false teaching. And was going against the true gospel of God. That's why Paul was. Definitely defending the gospel of Christ of grace. He understood it and now he's going down to these Jerusalem council to make sure they understand where he stands, what he's based his life upon and what he's teaching others and what he's communicating effectively. But all these was taking place down there and he needed them to understand what was coming on and that this false, secretly, stealthy, spying on and coming in and trying to change what God was doing was wrong. And we too, if we've ever find ourselves where someone comes in alongside you in fellowship, stealthily spying and kind of getting in there and saying, "Well, why aren't you also doing this?" I, it, those are red alerts. That means they need to be educated. They need to be share the gospel with them, gently, lovingly share with them, <laughs> and help them understand the scripture, bring them back to the scripture because obviously, one of two things. A, they just don't know the scripture. Or B, they're truly a wolf in sheep's clothing and they're just looking to take you out and, just, and destroy you. Either way, if you, can, if you don't feel comfortable, then bring them to the elders. Let us help them to understand the truth. It continues, verse 6. But from those who seem to be something... <laughs> Paul doesn't make, he doesn't sugarcoat it. I like how Paul is. Uh, Those who seem to be something, uh, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. His, His mindset, Paul's mindset, was in line with God's mindset. I love it. Sometimes I, I get these these messages, Pastor. Did you see this celebrity got saved? Whoa! It's going to be awesome if he takes in this celebrity and uses his platform to go out and share the gospel. I can understand. You know, uh, that's great. I'm. I'm. Thank God that celebrity, come to the truth. I really hope so, and I hope they walk and. And can deal with the persecution that's coming their way. But it's not that person getting saved because they're a celebrity doesn't make them any more special than you. Paul said wait a minute, God shows no personal favoritism to no man. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I'm no more special than Titus or Barnabas or anybody else. We're all equal. In God's eyes, it doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter the the continent you're from. It doesn't matter your age or your wealth or anything. It's a great neutralizer. We're all equal in the eyes of God. That's unity. You want to solve some of the deep-rooted issues of this world and this country? Come to Jesus Christ and we'll be unity. There will not be division and killing. Because that's your brother and your sister. How could you not but just love your brother and sister? So Paul says, "Yeah, I know you think James the apostle and or the brother of Jesus and uh, Paul. I mean um, Peter and and John. All, you, I know you think there's something. <laughs> they might be something, but that really doesn't matter to me." I don't care if they have the apostleship title or if they have a pastor title or if they have a deacon title. That that doesn't make them more special. It doesn't make them more religious or more closer to God. God shows shows no personal favoritism to no man there. And he says, none of those men added anything to my life in doing what I've been called to do by Jesus Christ directly. No man. That's why, I have, that's why Paul had the freedom of just speaking the truth in love. Because he was not bought by someone or tied to some system, religious university system, or anything else that t- tells him what they can or cannot say. Paul had the freedom to be able to live his life as a child of God and have the freedom to do such. And then we'll finish up here in verse 7. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, now this is James, Jesus' half-brother, not James the brother of John. He's already dead by this point, so this is, we know clearly this is James, uh, Jesus' half-brother. Cephas, which is the Aramaic name for Peter, so that's Peter referring to here. And then, of course, John uh, the apostle, who seemed to be pillars, seemed to be pillars, they were kind of the foundation. They were the part of the twelve, right? They were the initial uh, brotherhood there with Jesus walking with Jesus. So that he referred to me, recognized there seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me. They gave me and Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they too to the circumcised. And then, verse ten, they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. So, here in the last few verses, of our, our teaching for the today is that there's a lot of dynamics happening. They had that little meeting, kind of separate and distinct, with those three outside the congregation there in Jerusalem working things out, making sure everything's fine, there's clarity, there's unity, there's an understanding, there's a comfort level that Paul is teaching rightly. He's not added, he's not deleted from the scriptures. He's purely speaking a simple truth of the doctrine of faith, the justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, period. Everything was good. Now we see in these verses, they now come in front of the Jerusalem congregation going to present it to the congregation as a, as a whole. And they did not just sit there and say, hey, we worked out a secret deal in the back. Everything's fine. Look. No, no, no. They came in front of and presented to make sure that there was clarity. That the fact that, that Peter and John and James recognized what God had done and is doing in Paul's life just like Peter do, working and ministering to the the, un, the, the uh, circumcised, the, the Jewish believers, just like they're doing, God is doing the work through Peter there, he's also doing the exact they recognized it was the same spirit, the same work that was working in Paul, working the uncircumcised believers up in the Gentile world, in Anna. So because of this unity, because it's the same spirit, because they're doing exactly what God has called them to do, it was truth, they haven't added, they haven't deleted. That's why Paul's sitting there saying, they seem to be pillars, they seem to be something. You know, Because even Paul, I think, is a little hesitant, as we will learn next week, why he's a little bit, in his words, not concrete. You'll see him actually having to rebuke Peter. I know. Today's world, people, Peter, he's the Pope. No, no, no. Man has put him in a position that was not. And we will see that even Peter was sinning, and Paul had to come in and actually rebuke him next week. So that's why Paul recognized some things were not perfect down in the Jerusalem uh, Jerusalem, uh, location. But notice here, But what they did have is unity in front of the congregation. And you see the words there, that they perceived the grace that had been given to me, that they gave me, Paul, and Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship. So they shook hands in front of everyone to show unity. They reached their hand out and said, we have unity. We're in agreement. we we completely in agreement that you can only be saved by putting your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Period. That no, they don't need to get circumcised. No, they do not need to follow some religious dietary rules no they do not have to keep the sabbath no they do not have to do these things that the jewish faith believes in and so there was unity and there was a right hand there was a show of a connection of with the right hand of shang and in agreement that we should go now paul and barnabas and titus we are going to go now go back up and continue to do the work we've been doing over the last 14 years now, the only thing at the very end, you can see them in front of the congregation. And I can, you almost kind of hear it. So so guys, what, what's the end result? You know, the main thing, one of the main things they left us with before we leave today. They desired only that we should remember the poor. What they're referring to is, I know you're going to go up there into the Gentile world and continue to do the work, but don't forget us down here us Jewish believers are poor and we're hurting and we're barely surviving. Can you please not leave us and forget us? After all this little confrontation and discussion and now we have unity, can you not forget the fact that we're poor down here? Can you remember to send relief funds and and support down here because we're really suffering? And Paul's like, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Remember, we know, we've already studied in First and Second Corinthians. He had such a desire and such a passion to collect from the churches in Corinth, remember? All the way up through those areas. He was already doing it. That's his heart. He wanted to help his brothers and sisters in the faith. He wasn't going to walk away from that after all this was taking place. But that's what I think there was concern. It's just like us, Right? We have a heart for the poor. I want any opportunity that we can have, you know, the vision that we would continue to have to be able to not only just help here locally, but when there's another Katrina, is there another disaster in Puerto Rico? Or there's there's going to be more disasters. You do know that that we could be a body here that we could send people out and physically help but also send resources that God would bless us in a way that we could send additional resources out to those who are hurting and poor. You know the vision, right? If there's a family who has a... I watch the news and I see a family's house burn locally because of a fire or because of the Christmas tree. Whatever reason, we see it throughout the winter, right? They start up their fireplace for the first time in the winter and they didn't get it cleaned out and there was some kind of nest in there and it just causes all... We should be immediately see that, and if we were through our thrift store and other things, we should rally together and go help that family of six. Should we not? We need to sh- reach out with the hand of Jesus and say, we're here in the name of Jesus Christ. We want to help you. Can you imagine every church body in this community did that? That's what would change this community. I'm not talking about getting involved with the social programs and all these other things that goes on. We share, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and we minister to people in the faith and we also go out and reach the lost and we help them practically as well. I mean, we do it all that. But just like Paul, just like right here, may we understand clearly as we will continue through Galatians, you will see even more, especially chapters three and four, Paul lays out justification by faith as clear as can be. Amen.